Hi, I'm Olaomi Brigway, and I began to experience all-round supernatural success in my life when I finally accepted that no matter how hard a person works, they will never rise above the level of thinking. Are you looking for transformation from the inside out? Then join me on the Super Abundant Life podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Super Abundant Life podcast, where we tackle real issues by examining the lives of real people and extracting real life solutions that are rooted in the wisdom of God. This is your host, Olaomi Brigway. Hi, this is Olaomi and welcome to episode 51 of the Super Abundant Life podcast. It is always a pleasure for me to bring you these episodes and I truly appreciate you tuning in, listening, sharing with friends and family and also providing us with feedback. I appreciate it and I will never get tired of saying thank you. So thank you. So today I'm going to be talking about something that I think plagues us all. I mean, there is no one walking the face of this earth that would maybe at some point in their life or even all of their life would not have to deal with what I'm talking about today. And that is confidence. Whether you're a woman, whether you're a man, whether you're a child, whether you're an adult, whether you're old, it doesn't matter. We all sort of, you know, it's something that we have to continually deal with and growing and growing as well. So I'm talking about how to become more confident and assertive at work and in life, how to become more confident and assertive at work and in life. Okay. So the first thing I need to clarify actually is this, when I'm talking about confidence, I'm not, but you know, talking necessarily about confidence in your own self. So like self-confidence, self-esteem, self-worth, because those are the kind of words that we use in, in everyday life. And when I say, when I, you know, when, when we use words like that, I don't want to be too finicky to say, oh, you can't say self-confidence or self-worth or self-esteem. That's not what I'm saying because it's convenient to use those words, but, um, we need to understand what we're saying when I say self-confidence as in when you say, oh, I want to improve my confidence. I want to improve my self-esteem or my self-worth or my self-confidence as Christians all of those things have to be rooted in God. So I'm not talking about necessarily confidence in your own ability. I'm talking about confidence in who God says you are, in the ability that God supplies. So seeing God as a source of anything that you may have confidence in, that is the kind of confidence that I'm talking about today. Um, and I'm going to borrow uh, a word that was coined. I'm not quite sure who coined it. It's not mine. I didn't create it, um, but I don't know exactly who did. So I don't want to give credit to the wrong person. So I'm not going to say any names, um, but it's the word Godfidence. So what I'm talking about today is how to grow in God. God <laughs> how to grow in Godfidence. I can't even say the word. Okay, so how to grow in Godfidence. And my own definition of that is the confidence that comes from 
having your identity rooted in God. So the more you know who God is, the more you go deeper into him, the more confident you become. Why? Not because you are suddenly um, gaining all the skills or, you know, you are working in your career and you're becoming, you know, you're rising higher as a leader and then suddenly you're feeling oh, I'm more confident. No, 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 no. Nothing external. All right. There's not the confidence that comes from anything whereby that can be taken away from you. Let me put it that way. Because a skill can be taken away from you. A knowledge can be taken away from you. Relationships can be taken away from you. Networks can be taken away from you. A job can be taken away from you. Even family can be taken away from you. So nothing external, nothing external, all right? The confidence that the world teaches all is all based on external things. Um, that can be taken away. But if your confidence is rooted in your identity in God, then it can never be taken away from you. And that is what I want to talk about growing in today. So growing in your God fidence. Now I want to show you, I just, I don't just want to come and say, right, don't have confidence in your own ability, have confidence in God and move on. The way we do it here on this podcast is we go to the word of God and we see what God has to say about the matter. I don't come with my own opinions. I come with the opinions or the rules of God and the principles of the kingdom. So I'm going to go into the Bible and primarily the Bible character that I'm going to use today is Saul. So not the Saul that later became Paul, the Saul that was the first king of Israel. That's the Saul that I'm going to talk about. Now, remember the first thing that I want to clarify today is I'm talking about Godfidence and I'm trying to encourage you to have your confidence rooted in God and not in anything external or in your own quote and unquote abilities. And I'm going to show two examples, right? From the life of Saul that depicts what happens when your confidence or your estimation of yourself lies in, in who you are, as in, um, what I can do or what I can do. Right. Okay. So I'm going to read from first Samuel, first Samuel nine, 17 to 21. And I'm going to show you the two sides, right? The two sides of Saul of confidence, right? When someone has their confidence rooted in anything external, right? Or their own estimation of their own abilities. There's a problem with that. There are two extremes that I'm going to show. So it says when Saul, Samuel saw Saul. So basically Samuel, God had commanded Samuel, uh, to go and, um, get a new king because Israel was demanding a king. They said, no, we don't want God to be our king. We want a physical human being. Okay. To be our king. And God said, okay, if that's what you guys want, no problem. I'll give you a king. Uh, when Samuel saw Saul, that's a tongue twister. The Lord said, that's the man I told you about. He will rule my people. Just then Saul approached Samuel at the gateway and asked, can you please tell me where the seer's house is? I'm the seer, Samuel replied, go up to the place of worship ahead of me. And I'm here to tell you that you and your family are the focus of all of Israel's hopes. Now, Saul was puzzled, like, why is this guy talking like this? I'm looking for my donkeys that I'm missing and I need a prophet to be able to see and tell me where they are. And you're telling me some random message that I'm the hope of all of all of Israel. So Saul replied, but I'm only from the tribe of Benjamin, the smallest tribe in Israel. 
and my family is the least important of all the families of that tribe. Why are you talking like this to me? So basically, God was saying something about Saul, that I have appointed you as king, that the hope of Israel actually rests upon you. And Saul immediately was like, hey, hold on a minute. I'm the smallest in my family. My family is the smallest in the tribe of Benjamin, right? And says, we are the smallest in everything. And Benjamin is the smallest in Israel. So in terms of hierarchy, I'm the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. Why are you talking like this to me? So he immediately pushed back on the information that God was giving him. All right. Let me say, let me keep going. So I'm not yet done with trying to paint that picture. Now, it now says, um, when Samuel, so Samuel basically talked to him and a few things happened. And then he now came to the day when he was going to be anointed as king in front of all of Israel. So his coronation day, basically. So Samuel went and did all the ceremony and then says, and finally son, Saul, the son of Kish was chosen from among them. And when they looked for him, this was at Saul's coronation. <laughs> Just try and imagine this picture. They had come to, um, is coronate a word? Coronate is not a word. I don't know. <laughs> they had come to basically make this person king. Guess what he did? He says, when they looked for him, he had disappeared. So they asked the Lord, where is he? <laughs> and the Lord replies, he's hiding among the baggage. So they found him and brought him out and he stood head and shoulders above anyone else. Then Samuel said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel is like him. And the people shouted, long live the king. Now, the first thing, what I want to point out, remember I'm talking about the confidence that is not rooted in your identity in God, that is rooted in your estimation of what you have or don't have. There's a problem with that. The first problem is look at Saul, even though he was chosen by God, even though there was Samuel there who was very well respected in all of Israel had showed up and had said, you are the next king. I'm here to anoint you to become king. Saul looked like a king. So there's there are actually quite a few things going for him. The Bible says that he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. He had been chosen by God. He looked like a king. But guess what? He had zero confidence. He had zero confidence. He had low self-worth. Why? Because re remember the words that came out, came out of his mouth. He said, I am the smallest in my family. My family is the smallest in Benjamin and Benjamin is the smallest in the whole of Israel. So he judged it by the external. And as a result of that, he had no confidence to reach out and take what God was saying was given to him and who God was saying that he was. Now that is the problem with the kind of confidence that is rooted in the external. Okay. Now I'm going to, I'm going to now show you the other side of that, the other extreme, right? So none, it's not good is the point I'm trying to make. So the other extreme is, is the same soul. So a few things happened where God validated him and, you know, he began to grow in his confidence and ability and everything. And then now guess what happened? Saul never really learned to put his confidence in God. When he started, he had no confidence. So he was, um, he, he pushed back on, on what God was calling him to do. So he, he didn't really have confidence to take it. Right. 
But when he became king and he saw that, ah, uh-uh, look, everybody's bowing to me. I have all this kingdom, you know, the women want me and, <laughs> and all those kind of things. His confidence, again, in the external exploded. Like, yes, I'm king. Now, guess what he did? The other extreme, this is what happens when confidence is in the external. He says in 1 Samuel 13, that Saul waited there seven days for Samuel. So the background to this was they were, they were in war, in battle with the Philistines. And it had gotten to the point where everybody was getting quite jittery. So his men were afraid and they, had, they were supposed to wait for Samuel, the priest, to offer the offering to God. In other, in other words, to get the go-ahead from God um, before they would go ahead. Do you understand that? So they would wait, offer the rams or whatever it is they would give. And then God would, the, the priest would make some pronouncements. And as a result of that, they knew that they had the backing of God to go into battle. But then it says that Saul waited seven days for Samuel, had, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. So Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, he demanded. Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. This was the same person that was hiding in luggage when they said you are going to be king. Now, on the other side, he, he felt he had grown in the artificial or self-confidence so much to the point that he didn't even think that he needed God anymore. He didn't think he needed the blessing of God to be able to go into battle. He said, oh, why do I need to wait for Samuel? I'm going to do it myself and I'm going to move forward into battle. And as a result of that, he lost the kingdom. He wasn't a priest, but he had become so self-assured in his in the trappings of, of being a king, the palace, the sons, the wives, and all those things, the victories over the enemies, that that low self-worth now became pride and arrogance. And obvious, as we know, that was the beginning of his downfall. He literally lost the throne from that point on. So what am I, what do I feel absolutely um, um, what do I feel is important to emphasize before we go into even how to build up your confidence? It is this, right? When the confidence that is rooted in you, that's in self-confidence, self-worth, self-esteem, where it is about your ability, you feel, oh, I, I don't believe I can do this, right? When you don't believe you can do something, you sort of recline. And when, you know, you believe you can do it, and I've done this a million times, and then you go forward, it's the same thing because your your confidence is still in whether you think you can do it or not. Now, when you feel incapable, it manifests, that kind of confidence manifests as low self-esteem or low self-worth, where you shrink back and you go and hide. Even if everybody's telling that, oh, you can do it, you shrink back. That's because you are focused on yourself. You are focused on yourself. It is not rooted in God. And the other extreme of that is when you feel super capable, like, "Uh uh-uh, I know I can do this, it manifests as arrogance and pride. So both are not good, all right? Neither self, low self-worth, or pride or arrogance, those things are not good. The confidence that is always good, whether you know um, you feel you can do it or you feel you can't do it, it doesn't matter. The confidence that is always producing positive outcomes is the one that is rooted in the ability that God supplies. 
Do you understand that? It is rooted only in the ability that God supplies. So what I mean by this is even if you have 10 years experience in a career, and they're saying, oh, you know, you can, you, you know, come and do something, come and do something. And you look at your experience and you say, oh, because I have this experience, it's going to be a blast. As in, <laughs> I'm just going to go in there and blow everybody away because I know what I'm doing. I'm an expert in this. So, I, you know, I, you're going in, you're self-confident because you believe that you have the skills and everything to be able to do it. But what you don't realize is you're going in there and you're already blindsided because if a curveball is thrown at you and then somebody brings a question that you can't answer, that's house of cards is going to come crumbling down. But the other side of that Godfidence, what I am teaching today is if you go in and say, you know, Father, I thank you for this experience that I've been able to gather. But I go into that meeting or into this project or whatever, knowing that you are with me, knowing that my ability is the ability that you supply. So even if a curveball is thrown at you, you don't crumble because you're like, okay, God, okay, oh, how do we solve this one? Because your confidence is in the ability that God supplies. I hope that helps. I hope that makes sense. It's absolutely important that I explain that because that is what I understand confidence to be. Okay. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, what I'm going to now do is to talk about the six strategies that I have applied over time that I've studied, that I've seen in scriptures, read in books, etc. things that I've applied at different stages in my life and still apply, uh, that has helped me grow in my Godfidence, in my ability to trust in God, regardless of the situation. And there are six of them that I'm going to be sharing with you on today's podcast. And I know by the grace of God that it will, all those strategies will help you if you apply them. I'm sure there's some that you're already applying yourself, if not all of them. So if you're already doing all of them, then what I'm simply doing today is bringing them to your remembrance and encouraging you to keep going, encouraging you to keep going. Okay. So are you ready? So six strategies that will help you to become more confident in God, to grow in your confidence in the ability that God supplies God as your source. All right. So the first one is this. The first one is this speak to yourself. This is probably the one that has worked for me the most speaking to yourself, speaking to yourself. I remember I've shared this before. I went, I went on an interview at one time and this particular interview, this job that I was going for, I did not, <laughs> I say you are not qualified. I was not qualified at all. I was not qualified in experience. I was not qualified in ability as in knowledge, skills, right? I was, you know, I, I wasn't qualified because I, I remember I was literally, it was at the beginning of my career and even though I was doing very well where I was and excelling in the level that I was working at, this was several steps higher and I wasn't, there wasn't, as in, it didn't make sense for somebody that had my, exp my level of experience, my level of skill, uh, et cetera, and knowledge to say, I'm going to apply for that job. But for me, I believe that it was something that God wanted me to go for and I was going to go for it. So 
what I ha- what had I been doing had me speaking to myself, taking the word of God and speaking. And the more I spoke, the more I became filled with the spirit. I'm going to teach this in a bit more detail. So I became full, full, not based on my ability. So I didn't look at that job posting and think, oh, this is only what I have. I don't have the confidence. I, I don't have the self-worth to be able to go for it. No. Even though I judged the external, my confidence was not rooted in the external. God said, you can do it. I said, hey, I can do it, Abby. Okay, let's go. <laughs> so I took the word he gave me and I began to speak. And I showed up at the interview. And I showed up at the interview. The head of the organization there was a panel and I was talking. I wasn't forcing anything. I wasn't deliberately trying to appear confident or anything. I mean, they were just asking me questions and I was answering but it got to a point as a mid midway or mid sentence or whatever, the head of the panel, the organization basically stopped, <laughs> stopped me, looked at me and said, you're not shrinking violet, are you? And basically a shrinking violet, someone that is shy, that is reserved, that reclines, that pulls back, that holds back, that just very, you know, I can't do it. I like shrinking. I said, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> and I laughed. I said, I'm not a shrinking violet. And he was so impressed by the confidence that I was oozing. But what was that confidence based in? My skill, my ability, my knowledge? Absolutely not. Because on paper, I couldn't do the work because I needed a few more years of experience to even be thinking about applying for a job like that. And what got me there? Speaking the word of God, speaking the word of God. All right. I'm going to show you how this worked for, for uh, Saul. So at a point, the reason why Saul was able to get out of that place of, Oh, I can't do it. I'm the lowest. I'm the least in the kingdom, etc. Oh, even though God is saying I can't do it. No, 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 I can't do it. Just leave me. How was he able to transition to even begin to accept his position as king? Now I'm going to show you what happened um, and why that happened. So I'm going to read a portion of the scripture. So this is first Samuel 11, uh, and says about a month later, so after about a month where he was found hiding in the luggage. <laughs> I, I just find that so funny. I seen the, the Bible does not exaggerate, right? So he was the tallest in the whole country. And he went, I don't know. Anyway, so after by a month after that, a king came and threatened one of the cities in Israel and basically, you know, threatened them with something so hideous. He said, do a treaty with us. And if you refuse to accept this treaty, we're going to gouge out the eye, one eye from everybody in the town. Can you imagine that? So they said, accept, let us rule over you, or we do a treaty and we're going to gouge out one of your eyes. So everybody was obviously afraid. So it says that they sent messengers to um, the town of Saul, where Saul was. And I'll read from this. So Saul had been plowing a field with his oxen. And when he returned to town, he asked, what's the matter? Why is everyone crying? So they told him about the message from Jabesh. Then watch this says, then the spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul and he became very angry. This was the extremely timid Saul that they said, you are king. He went to hide. 
When the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, the Bible says he became very angry. He took two oxen, cut them in pieces, and sent the messengers to carry them throughout Israel with this message. This is what will happen to the oxen of anyone who refuses to follow Saul and Samuel into battle. And the Lord made the people afraid of Samuel's anger and all of them came out together as one. And there were about 300,000 men from Israel and 30,000 men from Judah. The same Saul that went to hide, right, in the baggage, near, behind the baggage. That when the Spirit of God came upon him, it didn't matter who he felt he was anymore. He became another person. He became so bold that he said, if you don't come and join us now, see what I will do to you. (laughs) And they followed him. The Bible says that the, the Lord made them fear Saul's anger. So it was God that did it. It was God that did it. And basically he says that, um, he went on and he, he, he got them a phenomenal victory. And after that, the people exclaimed to Samuel, now where are those men who said, why should Saul rule over us? Bring them here and we will kill them. So everybody got behind him and was like, hey, the king, because something came upon him. And what was that something? The spirit of God. The spirit of God came powerfully upon Saul. Now, you don't have to wait as a New Testament Christian, as someone that God inhabits, to say, I'm waiting for the Spirit of God to come upon me. The Bible actually prescribes how to become full. You know, I said about speaking, I I talked about my own example at that interview. Leading up to that interview, I was just speaking. I was just speaking the word and I was getting full and full and being filled up to the point that I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that I can do this. It's mine. Do you understand that? And it just basically um, overflowed to everyone at that interview. How do we do it? Let me show you that it is by speaking in the New Testament. Ephesians 5, 18 to 19 says, don't get drunk with wine, which is rebellion. Instead, be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit and your hearts will overflow with a joyful song to the Lord Jehovah. So fear vanishes right? Doubt vaporizes. You become full of God that all you want to do is just begin to thank God and worship him because you're full. How? It says speaking to yourself with words of scripture, singing the sounds of praises and spontaneous songs given by the spirit. How do you become full of God where you are confident, absolutely confident in the ability that God supplies by speaking the scripture to yourself. Okay. By speaking the scripture to yourself. That's probably the most important way to build up your confidence in God, your confidence in the ability that God supplies, where if you are facing something that looks like a mountain, you just literally take the scripture. You look like a grasshopper in your own eyes. And that's what the children of Israel should have done. They should have said, Hey, we indeed look like grasshoppers in our own eyes. (laughs) These people look like giants. So what should they have done? They should have taken the word that God gave that I am taking you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And they should have begun to speak it and say, God is taking us there. As they spoke it, they will become, do you understand, the, the anointing of God. So then they couldn't be filled because 
Christ hadn't come. <laughs> but basically, the anointing of God will rest upon them and they would know that certainly we can do it. That's what Joshua and Caleb did. And the others didn't do and they perished. So the first way is to speak scriptures. You have to speak scriptures. So there are certain scriptures that I speak every day as part of my confession, as part of my prayer life, that I speak about who I am in Christ, about who God has made me to be. It doesn't need to be long. I think I have maybe three or four that specifically that I speak every day about who God says I am. That gives me confidence to step out and accomplish anything that God puts in front of me. That's number one. Number two is document your journey and revisit it often. So have a book of remembrance where you write down the victories that God has effected in your life over the years. Over the years, whether before you were born again, during being born again, all right, <laughs> before, after, okay, then not after, right? From when you were a child, and God first showed me this principle, I think about maybe nine, eight, nine years ago. And since then I latched onto it and you will not believe how much, um, how much, um, I have experienced the miracles I have experienced in my life as a result of practicing this very simple thing, which is to document your journey with God. What has God done in your life? Let me read you a scripture. Psalm 78 from verse nine says that the warriors of Ephraim, now listen carefully to this. He says they were armed with bows, though armed with bows, turned their backs and fled on the day of battle. Why? So these were people, number one, they were warriors. They weren't like ordinary citizens. They were warriors. They were trained and they were also armed. So they, they were trained and they had the equipment. They had the knowledge to be able to do something. So they had the knowledge, they had the skill, they had the ability to be able to do something. They were warriors and they were armed with bows. But the Bible says that they turned their backs and they fled. They didn't even just <laughs> casually say, ah, I can't do it. So they ran like Saul. So they ran away on the day of battle. Why? It says they did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his instructions. Okay. Yes, we get that. But why? The Bible says that they forgot what he had done the great wonders he had shown them, the miracles he did for their ancestors on the plain of Zoan in the land of Egypt. Why did they turn and run even though they were warriors, even though they had bows, even though God was with them? Why? It says they forgot. They forgot what God had done. They forgot. It's as simple as that. So God showed me, said, you want to accelerate the miracles in your life? He said to me, go and open up a book of remembrance, document what I have done in your life. The main major miracles whereby, you know, it is me that has done this documented and meditate, revisited often. Because when you see that, when another mountain presents itself, all you have to do is go back to the mountain of yesterday and say, ah, ah, God did this now. Why won't he do this one? It just fills you with confidence, not confidence in your own ability, but confidence in the ability that God supplies. Like the God that did that one. And you, if you, if you do it well, you can even document your, your feelings leading up to you where you didn't believe it could ever happen. And you were like, God, if you don't show up, I'm dead. And God showed up. Those things are 
it, it, it's, it's precious. Those memories are precious. So like I said, about eight, nine years ago, God showed me this principle and I've been doing this. Business. So that particular day I sat down and I said, Holy Spirit, take me back. Remind me. And he began to remind me things as far back as when I was a little child and I didn't even know Jesus Christ. He showed me that there were things that he had done for me, that he had saved me from. Even as far back as then, maybe age seven, age eight, right? Throughout my secondary school and so many things. So I have my book of remembrance that I revisit and I give God thanks. And as I'm saying those things, the mountains in front of me just begin to dissolve. Like, uh-uh, see, we, we have been working with this God for a while, okay? There's nothing to be afraid of. And he fills you with confidence in God's ability. That was the secret of David. David used the lion and the bear as his leverage to kill Goliath. If he had forgotten about the lion and the bear, trust me, he too would have gone to hide when Goliath showed up. But he didn't because he remembered that the same God that delivered him from the lion and the bear would certainly deliver him from Goliath. So that is strategy number two. All right, so number three, the third strategy that will help you grow in confidence in the ability that God supplies or Godfidence is to expose yourself to life givers. So, so people, maybe particularly people in authority over you that will speak life into you, that will speak life into you, especially people that you regard highly, people that you respect. Do you understand that people in authority over you? Now, this is not automatic. Not everyone in authority over you will speak life over you. That's just a fact of life unfortunately, but you can find people. So even if your parents, if only bad things is what they keep saying over you, you can go and find another elderly person. I know that maybe someone that understands the value of words and will encourage you and will speak life into you because you need it. All right. You need it. So I talked about speaking to yourself and speaking the scripture. Sometimes you do that, but you still, you still feel discouraged. You still feel like, <laughs> and then somebody comes, someone that you respect and they just come, maybe they just call you randomly and say, I just, I just, I just felt like calling you and they pray for you and they speak certain words and your spirit is revived again. I've had that happen to me so many times. My husband is one person that is like that for me. When even I've been, I speak the word, I'm standing on the word da, 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 and he just feels like, <laughs> I just can't do it. And he will just speak. He will speak the word or he will pray for me. And my spirit becomes revived again. You need people like that in your life. So mentors, or people in authority over you, um, so that would speak life. And I'm going to give you some examples. Again, we've been talking about Saul and Samuel. So Samuel was someone like that for Saul. He was. So when Samuel originally told Saul, right, that he was going to be king, he went to hide. He said, no, I'm the least and all that. This is what Samuel did. He says, Samuel said to all the people in the presence of Saul, with Saul standing there, he affirmed him. He said to all the people, this is the man the Lord has chosen as your king. No one in all Israel is like him. Right? He affirmed him. He spoke words of life into him. 
You need people like that in your life. Go and seek them out and do everything you can to maintain such relationships. Don't drive them away by becoming needy or something like that. Every small thing you've called them up. No, you need certain people that, you, you know, it doesn't even need to be like a very close relationship. And, um, while I understand you can be mentored from afar through books and videos and all that, I do that. I have people that are mentoring me that they don't know <laughs> that they are mentoring me. But what I'm talking about is someone that is in f- fellowship with you, that you have contact with, that periodically can speak words of life into you. You need such people in your life. A couple of my examples is the first one. Jesus and Peter, when Jesus was walking on water towards the disciples, so all the disciples were there and they were like, ah, who is this? This is a ghost. And they were afraid. And Peter got up and said, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come, tell me to come and I will come. Now, Jesus responded and said, come. That was all the encouragement that Peter needed to jump on onto water. I mean, if you're talking about confidence, that is... <laughs> That is super God confidence. I mean, walk on water. He had never been done. He had never seen it before in his life. So how do you reach out for thing, for something that you have never experienced before? If you have someone that is already doing it, speaking to your life, I say, it's easy. Come. There's a confidence that comes as a result of that. Do you understand? So spirit filled, God fearing people that will speak life. Jesus said, I'm doing it. You can too. Come. And as a result of that, Peter literally stepped onto the water. The third example that I'm going to give is Paul. So Paul started his ministry. He was saved in a very dramatic way. Jesus saved him. And then Jesus said, I'm calling you to the Gentiles. And he went off and started preaching to the Gentiles. But the Bible says that um, a few, I think a few years or so into his ministry or months, I don't remember now, that he went up to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and all the other apostles. And he presented what he was doing. He was like, am I on the right track? And they affirmed him and they affirmed him. Paul made a very serious statement that he said, lest I had been wasting my time. That was basically what he was saying. Lest everything I had been doing was in vain because if he had gone there and the real, the people that were with Jesus, <laughs> if that said, what is this you're preaching? This is not the gospel. He would have been so discouraged. He would have given up. Okay. But they affirmed him. They said, no, you're on the right track. You know, God has given you the grace, the Gentiles as God has given um, Peter, the grace, the Jews. So just keep going, just keep going. And they affirmed him and that gave him the confidence to keep going. So expose yourself to life givers. You need people that will speak into that have, that know you not just from afar, not just being mentored from afar. So people that say they are only watching, um, what's it called? Church online. They only ever watch online. You don't have contact with anyone that is speaking life into you. Someone that knows your name, that if you are in trouble or they're sensing something in the spirit, they are praying for you. They can pick up the phone. and say, do something. You certainly need that. You cannot be isolating yourself and say, I'm only watching church online and I don't need it. <laughs> It's, it's dangerous. <laughs> okay. It's dangerous. All right. So those are the three examples and the third strategy to build up your confidence in the ability of God that he supplies you. The fourth one, the fourth strategy is to collaborate with others. Collaborate with others. What do I mean by that? Find people who are strong 
where you are weak and link hands with them because no one has it all. If you've ever met someone that says that they can do everything by themselves, right? They can, they are, they are excellent at everything that experts at everything. They are either deluded and I don't use that word lightly. I'm not insulting everyone. It means, um, someone is deceived. They have deceived themselves. They're either deluded or they're lying. They're either deluded or they're lying because no one such person exists. So you can collaborate, you know, God will bring people into your life. Now, remember, this is confidence that God supplies in the ability that God supplies. It's not up to you how he will supply that ability. And there will be situations where God will bring people into your life to supply that ability. He will not always build you up to do it. Case in point, my example is Moses. God was telling Moses, oh yeah, I have sent you to the children of Israel. Go and tell Pharaoh to let them go and all those things. And he was saying it. He was saying it. Moses was like, oh, I don't want to go. I can't talk. You know, it got to a point point. said, send somebody else. Lord, please. <laughs> and the Bible says that God got angry. He was like, ah, ah. what is up with this guy? He said he got angry. He didn't say what he was thinking when he got angry, but me, I've just added my own using my imagination. Like, ah, why is this Moses behaving like this? Why are you acting like this? Eh? I said, I'm with you. You're saying I should send somebody else. I said, okay. So God got angry and then I'll say, okay, fine. Okay. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to make Aaron your mouthpiece. So he said, you can't talk, Abby. I'm still going to send you, but I'm going to supply that weakness with someone who has strength because the Bible says, and God said, cause Aaron is very good at talking. All right. He was a very good public speaker. That's what the Bible says. So God supplied that ability. And as a result of that, Moses had the confidence to be able to move forward. Okay. So collaborate with others Ask the Holy Spirit to show you if you are calling me to these things. And I genuinely don't feel like I can do it. Okay. God, you need to supply that need, that deficiency, and he will bring you in contact with people. So that was actually the, um, the basis for my mentoring program. So I, I run two programs. I run, uh, gems, which is a transformational life coaching program. Um, and then I also run Saul, which is a super abundant woman mentoring program. And the idea God gave me was bring people, you know, my children, my daughter. So this is for women that are strong in certain areas of life. And then you all come together and supply where there's deficiency. One person supplies so that there is no one that is lacking. So I have some, so we have five mentors, one person that is strong in their career. We have a finance mentor that is strong in the area of finances that has excelled in it. Someone in health and fitness, someone that is strong in business, spiritual life, right? Marriage, parenting. And he said, bring all these people together so that no, and it's based on the scripture that says each joint supplies so that nothing is left lacking. And that, that literally was the, was the idea that God gave me. I had never seen anything like that before. I had to go and research. I said, ah, does anything like this exist? But the idea came. So you have to collaborate. You have to collaborate when you find yourself like, Oh, I just don't feel like I can do it. If God is the one that called you to it, he will either 
teach you to do it or he will bring somebody that will supply that deficiency so learn to collaborate don't ever get to a point in your life where you think it's only me i'm only the person that must do it nobody else can come and help me or i don't want anybody else to come and say they were a part of it ah it doesn't matter who gets the glory as long as the word gets done and listen it the, the, your work would always speak it will always speak it will always speak. So that is the fourth one to collaborate with others, find people or allow, I should say, allow the Holy Spirit to guide you to people, be open-minded that are strong when you're weak and link hands with them. And you will not be deficient. You'll be so confident to be able to move forward. Now, the fifth strategy, I have two more. The fifth strategy is this, to find your sweet spot and develop it to an outstanding a phenomenal level don't be a jack of all trades there is no such thing wanting to be a jack of all trades you of all trades you want to you want to be good at this one you want to be known for this one you want to know for that one you know if you go into business the first thing they will tell you is identify your niche you have to be able to hone in on the people that you are called to serve it is the same with life it is the same with any area of life it is the same in marriage even in parenting right I feel I need to say this at this point, you know, some particularly women where you just feel like you are the one that knows best in raising that child. Your husband brings an opinion and I'm talking from experience. So, you know, I don't, I don't lie about these things. (laughs) I'm talking from experience. He has a way of doing it, but you, you think, no, that's your own way is to this or is to that. This is the way that it needs to be done. And then God began to sort of pull my ear a little bit and say so what you're saying is you are the one that has all knowledge you are the one that knows absolutely what is best in all situations don't you think that what he is bringing to the table is also necessary for the development of the child and I, I had to repent and I began to learn that, hey, it is not competition. You're supposed to compliment. So where this one has a certain parenting style, the other one actually compliments. And actually it was both of us. It wasn't just me. So I'm not. <laughs> okay. So we both began to realize that, okay, one is not better than the other and one is not bad we just needed to compliment appreciate and support the other person when they are sort of displaying their own parenting style don't go and sit in one corner talking and say that's not how i would do it and then you don't say anything you know you you stand with them 100 percent. and when they are exhibiting their own parenting style you go and stand and support them 100 percent because you need both that's what god taught me so nobody right is a jack of all trades you have to find your own sweet spot and then you need to develop it to outstanding level i'll give the example from the bible which is paul so paul now um paul wrote uh i hear some people say one third some people say uh is it two i don't know is it two thirds or whatever a lot (laughs) of the new testament uh, he wrote most of the letters, the epistles and so on. And he's, as in my, my, my favorite, when I got born again, the book I started to read that I, that I got drawn to straight away was Romans. I love Romans, Romans and Hebrews, Romans, Hebrews. Those are my two favorite scriptures in the, if, um, 
books in the Bible and then Luke in the gospel. Since I started, let me just say everything. And then Isaiah in the prophets. So those four books, I can read them anytime, any day. But what I'm saying is Paul, he's the way he writes is so methodical in his thinking and the writings are deep. They're clear. You can study Paul's writings and still not get everything out of it. You still come back. Do you understand? So he wrote well. But he's speaking, his speech, it was not so impressive. So the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 11 to 10, 10 to 11, says, for I can imagine some of you saying, this is Paul himself talking. We said his letters are authoritative and stern, but when he's with us, he's not that impressive and he's a poor speaker. So Paul was fantastic at writing. He had a gift, but when he showed up to speak, we were like, uh-uh, is this the same person? That his letters are so deep, <laughs> you know, maybe I don't know. He just was not a fantastic speaker. They called him unimpressive and poor as a speaker. In fact, Paul, there was a time when he went to speak and somebody slept off and fell to their death. He had to go down and raise the person from the dead, right? As a speaker, as a speaker, but his letters, I'm pretty sure when he wrote a letter to a church, or, you know, the church in if, if Ephesus or something, and they gathered, they were like, oh, wow, this is so deep, right? Nobody would fall asleep. But in his speaking, it wasn't so impressive. So what am I saying? Paul understood this. He understood this. And he knew that, listen, okay, this writing one, this is my best work. And I'm going to keep honing it and developing it and expressing that gift. He continues, he says that such a person should realize that when we arrive, there will be no difference in the actions we take and the words we write. So he was basically agreeing with that statement that said he was not impressive and he was poor as a speaker. I said, okay, fine. No, I agree. I may be unimpressive and poor as a speaker, but don't think I will not do what I have written in my letters. He was basically saying, I'm going to follow through and do what I have said but don't think because I'm not impressive as a speaker that I'm going to be weak and I won't act. So he, he, he basically, by saying that, agreed with the fact that I know what my strength is. So one way to grow your confidence is find the gift that God has given you. Because if you're trying to be the best at something God didn't give you, you can try all the days of your life and the best will be is just, you can become good but never to the point where you stand out in the whole world. Because if it's not your gift, you hear people, I've heard all sorts of people, you know, um, you, you hear them say things, maybe people that like play the piano or play football, but you, you hear them make statements like, oh, you know, I, I practiced all my life and I can play the piano. But when somebody that has a gift walks into the room, there's a difference in the sound. And that is it. They can practice and become good or even excellent at it. But someone that is gifted in that area, when they do it, it's on another level. It's outstanding. So identify your own gifts and stay in your lane. You do not have to, just because something is what's popular and I say, I'm going to go and do that one. And then something else becomes popular and say, I want to go and do that one. And I should say this for parents as well, parents of young children, what you should be doing for your kids is find when they're small, you put them in all sorts of activities because you don't yet know for some kids, almost as soon as they come out of the womb, you can tell 
right? They start exhibiting, you know, affinity for, for things, maybe for music or whatever. So you can sort of tell and pick it up early. But when you can't tell, expose them, maybe between the ages of one and, I don't know, six or seven or something like that, or maybe even, maybe even eight to different activities. But once you begin, the reason why you're doing that is to find their sweet spot. This idea of putting children into five, six, seven, ten activities forever and making sure that they do it because you feel like, no, you have to be well-rounded. I don't understand what it means to be well-rounded. Why do you need to be well-rounded? The people... It's, um, the people that whose names we know, they're not quote and unquote well-rounded, right? Bill Gates spent all his time working with computers. He didn't go and learn piano or go and play football. It's, they focused on one thing and they excelled at it because they found their gift and they were able to hone it to outstanding level. So if you're putting them in all those activities is to, you're observing and saying, what do they have a natural gifting for? When you notice that, ah, this one, two left feet, can't play, doesn't have coordination, remove them and begin to narrow it down until you are only focusing on the gifts that God has given them. So find your sweet spot and develop it to outstanding level because if you try to become outstanding, if you set your expectations to become outstanding at a gift you don't have, that is one of the quickest ways to kill your confidence. It really is. Because you'll be comparing yourself to people that have the gift. But I'm working hard. But I'm doing this. How come is I'm not as good as that person? It's a confidence killer, particularly in children. Okay? Now, the last one, the last one, the sixth strategy to build, grow your confidence in the ability that God supplies is to have this mindset. Embrace whatever is in front of you and do it well regardless of how you feel regardless of how you feel the bible says in ecclesiastes 9 from verse 10 now whatever your hand finds to do do it with your might do it another version says with all your might for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going says, I returned and saw something under the sun. The race is not to the swift. And I'll explain what God showed me about the scripture. Nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. But time and chance happen to them all. Do you know what I mean? It's saying that time and chance means opportunity. It means no matter who you are, on the face of this earth, your day of opportunity is coming. There's going to be a day when you will have opportunity that will take you to the top. But how do you get there? Whatever is in front of you, do it with this mindset. I'm going to do it well. This is something I teach my kids. I keep going on on and on about it to my children. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might. Don't do things half-heartedly. Don't do things just for the sake of it, just to say, I've done it and I'm moving on. There's that phrase that says done is better than perfection. And I completely agree because if you don't think it is perfect, you won't start. But what I'm saying is 
is have the idea that don't just say, oh, they just said I should do this or I just need to, I'm just going to do it and then not care about whether it is excellent or not and then move on because the day of opportunity is coming and if you have produced substandard work, that opportunity will come, judge it and say, no, that's not good enough and it will walk away and it will walk away. So this is the mindset that helps me be confident in the ability that God supplies. Because when I'm absolutely now certain that this is something that I'm supposed to do, regardless of how I feel, I remind myself of this scripture that now the opportunity has come, go and do it. Seriously, seriously. So I I remember, you know, at, um, there was a conference that I went to in Lagos at the start of the year and they just basically (laughs) came out and I said, we're going to interview on live, on live, um, thing. What's it called? Live streaming people all over the world. What I didn't want to do. I, in fact, I dodged, I tried to come late so that by the time we arrived, they would have started. But for some reason, they just refused. Say, we're going to interview you. I said, Hey Jesus, what is this? I didn't want to do it. I was like, I don't want to do this. Go and stand in front of. Anyway, so they came and because these were people that I respect, spiritual authority, and I knew inside me that if the reason why you're saying you don't want to do it is because of fear. So I, I was able to understand why I didn't want to do it. Not because God was saying, don't do it. I knew that I was fierce. I said, okay, fine. God, I understand that this is something I'm supposed to do. And whatever my hands find to do, I will do it with all my might. And I just basically put on that mind. The Bible says to put on you can put on a kind of mind and I put on that kind of thinking and I just adjusted myself. I said, okay, let's go. And I, I looked very calm as the people were telling me, oh, wow, you look so confident. Da, da, da. You spoke so well. You, you know, you didn't even look, if you knew how I was feeling inside, they would not, you would not be saying that. But I literally put on the mind that, okay, this is something that I've been called to do in this moment. I will do it well. I will do it excellently. And once I put that mind on, I was able to do it regardless of how I felt. So if you approach life that, that way, you will not let fear stop you. You will not let, oh, I can't do it. I don't feel like it. You will say, ah, this is an opportunity that I've been given. And I know that it's something that I'm supposed to do. I will do it well. So you take action. You move forward and you do it not haphazardly and, you know, blaming the fact that, oh, I didn't, I felt, you know, I, I didn't, you know, the reason why my voice was shaking is because, do you understand? You, you don't just go and do it anyhow. You do it. You do it and you commit to doing it well because you never know. Opportunity, that scripture is linked to where it says time and chance happens to everyone. So opportunities come. You don't know. I don't know who later watched that thing and say, oh, we saw you and I like the way you spoke. Can you come and do this interview? And who knows? That's what I mean. You never know. Opportunity will come. And if you have used low self-esteem or low confidence or whatever it is as an excuse to do a shoddy job, when opportunity comes for that thing, it will look at it and say they're not ready and it will pass on. Okay. All right. So (laughs) those are the six strategies that I have come to share with you today on how to build up or grow your confidence 
in the ability that God supplies, not in your own ability, not in external things, not in your own skills or knowledge or whatever it is, but in this, in, in what God supplies, in the ability that he supplies. I hope that has blessed you and I will be back next week. Thank you. Bye.